even if that meant confronting the monster from her nightmares one more time. Winding her way through the corridors of the complex, she headed back to where the Iktochi had first told her of Lucia's betrayal. Before she got there, however, she saw a body lying up ahead, crumpled against the wall where the passage bent around a sharp corner. No. She whispered under her breath as she broke into a run. No! She recognized Lucia's body long before she crouched down before her. Her arms and legs jutted out at bizarre angles, the bones snapped clean through. These injuries were nothing compared with the trauma that had been inflicted to her face and skull. As Sarah knelt over her friend's corpse, she didn't cry any tears, however. Instead of grief, she felt only a strange numbness fall across her mind. This is your fault. If you hadn't been so set on seeking revenge, if you hadn't brought the prisoner here, none of this would have happened. Lucia would still be alive. The voice inside her head spoke the truth, but Sarah still felt nothing. It was as if her emotions, so damaged by the deaths of Garen and Kalib, had finally shut down completely. Then she became aware of a strange, high-pitched hum behind the clang of the alarms. Not the sound of any lightsaber she had ever heard, and not a sound her ears found comfortable. She rose and walked farther down the hall toward the source of the noise, leaving Lucia's broken body behind her. As she drew nearer, she began to hear other sounds, grunts of exertion, short exclamations of anger and pain, the heavy thump of feet on the stone floor. She recognized them as the sounds of battle. No blasters, though. Reaching the intersection of another corridor, she saw a flicker of movement from the corner of her eye. Turning to the left, she saw two figures at the far end of the passage, less than 20 meters away from where she stood. She recognized the prisoner instantly. The second figure she had never seen before, yet she knew who this was. The blonde woman the Huntress spoke of. They were facing each other, clearly locked in an intense struggle. The prisoner was nearly twice the size of his opponent, but she was clearly the aggressor. The woman was armed with a double-bladed lightsaber, but the prisoner had no weapon as far as Sarah could tell. He was backing up warily, his eyes locked on the woman as she approached. She was closing in on him slowly, trying to back him into a corner and cut off his retreat. Just before she had him pinned, however, a bolt of violet lightning shot forth from his palm. The woman countered by catching the bolt with one of her lightsaber blades. It absorbed the energy, emitting the strange high-pitched hum Sarah had heard earlier. The two combatants were so focused on each other that neither had noticed Sarah. She should have been terrified. She should have turned and fled, running back the way she had come. Yet she felt only the empty calm that had settled over her on discovering Lucia's body. Without any real sense of urgency, she turned and walked back down the hall to where her friend lay on the floor. Crouching down, she seized the muscular woman by her wrists and began to drag her down the hall, groaning under the strain as she walked backward. Burdened by the weight, she made her way slowly back to the control room. The muscles in her neck, shoulders, and lower back began to throb almost immediately, but Sarah didn't stop. The sensation was muted, as numb and distant as her feelings of grief. Eventually, she reached the control room, but she didn't pause at the self-destruct console. Instead, she dragged Lucia through the door at the back and, with some difficulty, hoisted her into the hold of the small escape shuttle. Then she returned to the keypad and punched in the self-destruct code. 
This time, there was no hesitation before she pushed the confirm button. The sound of the alarms changed. Instead of the relentless clang, clang, clang warning of an escaped prisoner, it became a long, whooping wail. Sarah knew she had only a few minutes before the first series of explosions would begin. But she couldn't bring herself to leave. Not yet. Time seemed to stand still as she stood by the console, waiting expectantly. Hours seemed to pass, though in truth it was only a matter of minutes. And then she felt a small tremor beneath her feet. The shockwave from the first detonation in the deepest level of the facility. A few seconds later, it was followed by another tremor, and then another after that. Satisfied, she turned and headed out to the escape shuttle. The destruction of the stone prison had begun. The Huntress had never faced a more frustrating opponent. Despite the lightsaber in his hand, the man refused to stand and fight. He ducked and ran back and forth between the hulls of the ships, moving from one hiding place to another, always a step ahead of her. She could have sheathed her vibroblades and drawn the twin blasters tucked inside the folds of her cloak, but she knew it wouldn't do any good. Her adversary was too quick for her to ever get a clear shot. And even if she did, he'd probably just slap the bolt away with his lightsaber. She caught a glimpse of him darting across the aisle between her shuttle and the one parked beside it. She didn't chase him, though. She turned and ran behind her own shuttle, taking a path parallel to his in the hope of cutting him off. Chewing the ground up with long, effortless strides, she raced around the side of the ship, hoping to flank her unsuspecting opponent. Instead, she came within a centimeter of being decapitated as his lightsaber came hurtling through the air toward her. She let herself collapse to the ground, falling awkwardly back into the side as her legs shot out from under her. The maneuver was ungainly, but it saved her life. The deadly energy blade whistled by her ear, slicing a thumb-sized chunk out of one of her horns before circling back on a tight arc and returning to her opponent's hand. Ignoring the stinging pain from her horn, she scrambled back to her feet, vibroblades ready. But her opponent didn't press his advantage. He disappeared again vanishing around the nose of the ship. Her injury wasn't serious. Iktochi horns contained no vital organs or major arteries. Even if completely severed, the wound would not be life-threatening, though it would be agonizingly painful. In time, the missing chunk would even grow back, leaving no evidence of how close she had come to dying in the hangar. But she had nearly died. She realized her opponent was cunning. He had wanted her to see him knowing she'd double around to try and cut him off. She had underestimated him, and he had manipulated her, goading her into a careless mistake. He had set a trap, and she had walked right into it. She wouldn't make the same mistake twice. Set crouched down behind one of the ships, gasping for breath. To some extent, he had been able to resist the Iktochi's strange ability. He was able to fight through her ability to draw on the Force, but the effort had left him exhausted. And it still messed you up enough so that she was able to dodge your lightsaber. The Dark Jedi frowned at the memory of how close he had come to ending this battle, even as he forced himself to get up and get moving again. He couldn't stay in one place for more than a few seconds, not unless he wanted to end up dead. He knew she'd be more careful now. He'd missed his best chance. The Iktochi was too quick for him to beat in a straight-up fight, 
not with her disrupting his connection to the Force and slowing him down. So far, he'd managed to avoid a direct confrontation, but he couldn't keep running for much longer. He had a stitch in his side, and his lungs felt like they were going to burst. Unless something happened to change the situation, the outcome was inevitable. As if in answer to his prayers, there was a sudden change in the sound of the alarms. It only took Set a moment to figure out what had happened, and a new escape plan began to form in his mind. The Huntress heard the change in the sound of the alarms, and she knew that they had maybe five minutes before the detonations began, and maybe ten before the entire complex was reduced to rubble. Her opponent noticed the change as well. Hear that? He called out from somewhere on the other side of the hangar. This whole place is going to come crashing down around our ears. Why don't we each just hop on one of these shuttles and get out of here before that happens? I still have enough time to find you, she shouted back, slowly heading in the direction of his voice. It sounded like he was near one of the shuttles on the far side of the room. You're getting tired, wearing down. You won't last much longer. I was afraid you'd say that, he answered as she stepped from behind one of the ships, giving her a clear view of the man she'd been chasing. He was leaning casually against the side of one of the shuttles, near the thrusters at the rear. He glanced toward her but made no attempt to hide. Instead, he just stood there, holding his lightsaber casually at his side. Wary of walking into another trap, the Huntress began a cautious approach. As she took her first step, the silver-haired man pulled his arm back and brought his lightsaber down hard against the shuttle's hull. There was a shower of sparks, and the blade bit a full centimeter into the ship's reinforced exterior plating. The man pulled his arm back and struck again, hitting precisely the same spot, the glowing blade carving even deeper this time. It was only on the third blow that the Huntress realized what he was doing. The third chop brought the lightsaber deep enough to sever one of the shuttle's fuel lines. Her opponent flung himself backward, and she threw herself to the floor as a stray spark ignited the flammable liquid. Hundreds of tiny metal shards that had once been a fuel cell were sent hurtling through the air. The shuttle bucked once, its tail leaping a full meter off the ground from the force of the blast. A thick cloud of greasy black smoke curled up from the gash the lightsaber had left in the hull. Amazing weapons, aren't they? The man noted as she picked herself up from the ground. Cut through almost anything. His face was cut and scraped from flying debris. But somehow, probably through shielding himself with the Force, he had managed to avoid the worst of the explosion. Before she could reply, he had ducked around the corner of the shuttle, disappearing from sight once again. A few seconds later, she heard the unmistakable sound of the lightsaber shearing through metal yet again from the far side of the hangar. She broke into a run, heading in the direction of the noise. She was only halfway there when another explosion knocked her to the ground. When she got back to her feet, she saw that a second shuttle had been disabled. Knowing his next target, she turned and ran toward the stalker. She pulled up short when she came around a corner and saw her opponent standing beside her shuttle, his hand gently along the hull. What are you doing? The huntress shouted. All I want is to get out of here alive, he explained. But for some reason, you seem intent on killing me. You took the first swing at me, 
she reminded him. When I caught you about to steal my ship. A simple misunderstanding, he said, waving his hand to dismiss her accusations. There are two shuttles left. You take yours and leave the other one for me, and we never have to see each other again. What if I say no? Then I destroy your shuttle, and we see if you can stop me before I get to the last one. My guess is you can't. And then we're both stuck here when these walls come crashing down. You're a coward, the assassin shot back. You wouldn't even stand and fight me. Now you expect me to believe you'd sacrifice yourself to trap us both here? I'm a realist, the man explained. If we fight, I'm dead. If I trap us here, I'm dead. Either way, the outcome is the same. But if I destroy the shuttles, then at least I take you with me. She didn't answer right away. It was possible he was telling the truth. People did desperate things when cornered. Her thoughts seized on the hooked handle in her belt. He wasn't the only one armed with a lightsaber. She briefly considered trying to use the weapon she'd taken from the Sith Lord's mansion to block the attack if he tried to damage her shuttle, then dismissed the idea. She had no training or experience. She'd never even held a lightsaber until a few days ago. Even if she did, by the time she crossed the distance between them, the damage could have been done. Next, she tried to calculate her odds of getting to the last remaining shuttle before her enemy could disable it. She might be able to beat him there, but as soon as she climbed inside the cockpit, he'd be able to run up and wreak havoc on the engines. Finally, she weighed the possibility that he wouldn't actually go through with his threat. Even when faced with a hopeless situation, few people would have the strength of will to destroy their only chance of escape. There was a very good chance he was bluffing, but even if he was, what did she gain by calling his bluff? She didn't know anything about this man, who he was, how he got here, or why he had shown up in the first place. What did she really accomplish by killing him? And what did she lose by letting him go? The only reason she hadn't left yet was the belief that this was where she would find her destiny. Whether this man lived or died was of no consequence compared with that. A deep thrumming boom rolled through the cavern. The silver-haired man swayed slightly on his feet. We're running out of time, he warned, cocking his arm back and taking aim. We have a deal, she shouted. Stay where I can see you, the man warned backing away from her carefully. Keeping his eye on her, he scooted over to the other shuttle. He disappeared around the far side of the vessel. She heard him fumbling with the access panel as he sliced the security systems, followed by the unmistakable whoosh of the boarding ramp descending. A few seconds later, he reappeared, visible in the cockpit viewport. The Huntress simply watched, knowing there was nothing she could do. Unlike a lightsaber, Neither her vibroblades nor her blasters were capable of inflicting any serious damage on the hull of the shuttle. She momentarily considered drawing the lightsaber and mimicking the trick he had used against her. But even if she was able to damage his vessel, it just meant he would still be here. And she'd have to find some way to get to her own ship before he returned the favor. The shuttle engines roared to life as it rose up and turned to face the exit hovering for an instant just below the chamber's high ceiling. 
She could clearly see the Doan royal crest on the side, as well as the silver-haired man inside the cockpit. He waved to her and flashed a self-satisfied smile. And then the thrusters kicked in and the ship swooped away, flying out of the hangar and disappearing into the night sky. For the first time in the Huntress's life, someone she had wanted to kill had gotten away. Yet, it would be a small price to pay if she managed to find what she was truly looking for. Chapter 23 Zana wasn't used to being the aggressor. In all the time she and Bane had sparred, he had been the one pressing the action. Her lightsaber style was built on a foundation of parries and counter-strikes, hiding behind her virtually impenetrable defense while waiting for her opponent to make a mistake. This confrontation was completely different. Yet even though Bane had no lightsaber, that didn't mean he was helpless. Xana knew she couldn't simply rush in. Despite his bulk, Bane was incredibly quick and agile. He had also learned close-quarters pit-fighting tactics during his days as a miner and soldier. She had to be wary of letting him get close enough to grapple her. She couldn't let him get the opportunity to use his size and strength against her. There was also his incredible command of the Force to contend with. Simple tactics like pushing an opponent from across the room were impractical against any foe with proper training. Both she and Bane knew how to surround themselves with an invisible field of energy that absorbed or repelled the most basic tricks taught to any Jedi or Sith. But Bane could unleash devastating bolts of dark side lightning from his hands almost at will. As long as she was careful, she was able to avoid them or intercept them with her lightsaber. This caution, however, allowed her master to keep her off balance, just enough to stay alive. The pair were entwined in an intricate dance. She swept in low, spinning and twirling her lightsaber. He leapt up high, planting his feet on the wall at his side and pushing up hard, sending himself into a tumbling roll just beyond the reach for Blade's arc. Back on his feet, he sprang backward as Xana stabbed her blade straight forward, keeping just out of range. She pursued him down the length of the hall, jabbing and thrusting her weapon and sending the Dark Lord into a full retreat. Bane fought back with short, concentrated bursts of lightning, aiming at her boots to disrupt her footwork and keep her off balance. Xana took quick stuttering steps to avoid the attack and keep him from gaining a reprieve. Bane fainted, as if he was going to fall back to the right, then lunged forward flipping over her head and reaching down with a huge hand to seize her wrist. She ducked out of the way, lashing out with a kick as he landed behind her. Bane spun, grabbed her ankle, and wrenched the boot to the side, trying to snap the bone. Xana rolled with a violent motion, her entire body spinning along a horizontal plane. At the same time, she brought her lightsaber back up over her shoulder to slice Bane's arm off at the elbow but caught only air as he released his hold and fell back once more. She had him cornered against the wall with nowhere to go. As she moved in for the kill, another burst of lightning came toward her. She caught it with her lightsaber, but the impact drove her backward a step, giving Bane just enough room to duck down beneath her coup de grace and scramble clear of the wall. They had switched positions, each facing the opposite way as they began the dance yet again. The ebb and flow of their battle fell into a rhythm of feints and counters. 
their dance keeping time to the clanging alarms as she forced him back up the hall she had chased him down only moments before. Xana suspected if their positions were reversed, Bane might have ended the confrontation already. Yet she knew her victory was inevitable. Her master was in an impossible situation. He needed to do everything exactly right just to keep her at bay for another pass. He had no margin for error. But even the Dark Lord of the Sith couldn't sustain perfection forever. The only way she could lose would be to make a careless mistake. The best Bane could hope for was to try to frustrate her with his elusiveness. But Xana understood patience. She had waited 20 years for this moment, and she was content to play their battle out as long as necessary. They reached the end of the hall and Xana thought she had Bane trapped. This time, she used her lightsaber to slap aside the violet bolts of lightning, rather than trying to absorb them and stumbling back. Bane still had one more trick up his sleeve, however. She was less than a meter away, her blade already slashing in for the killing blow, when she felt all the hair on the back of her neck rise. A shimmering purple cocoon of dark side energy enveloped Bane, a fragile shell holding back a storm of pure power. She tried to pull back, but it was too late. As her blade bit into the cocoon, the energy was released in a sudden burst that sent both of them flying backward. Bane slammed hard into the wall against his back and crumpled to the ground. Xana was tossed 10 meters farther, landing hard on the stone floor. They rose to their feet at the same time, neither seriously injured. But yet again, Bane had managed to thwart her attack and work himself out of a corner. Xana merely shrugged and began another slow, relentless advance. She paused for a moment when the sound of the alarms changed. She knew almost instantly what had happened. They had only a few minutes to escape before the explosions buried them alive. There were two options. Break off the battle and run for the ship or throw caution to the wind and take one last reckless charge at her master. She couldn't let Bane get away. She had to end this now. As she gathered herself to charge, Bane fired off another bolt of lightning. She ducked to the side, and it whizzed past her ear, striking the wall and sending up a shower of dust and stone flecks. Despite missing her the first time, Bane followed it up with another blast on the exact same trajectory. Turning her head to follow the course of the misguided bolt, Xana saw where the first had hit the wall. The stone had been disintegrated in a fist-sized hole, revealing something that looked like bright red plastic beneath it. She recognized it as the casing of a demolition charge, just in time to throw herself backward, using the force to shield herself from the worst of the explosion. She was thrown clear as the entire wall blew out, sending huge chunks of stone spewing into the passage. The ceiling was shredded, tearing loose massive blocks that tumbled to the ground. Choking on the cloud of dust and smoke, Xana picked herself up. The passage in front of her was completely blocked by rubble and debris from the blast. She could feel Bane on the other side of the rocks. He had survived the blast just as she had but now they were separated by tons of impassable stone. She walked slowly over to the collapsed section of the hallway and placed a hand on the edge of one of the massive stones blocking her way. Even using the force, it would take hours to clear a path. There was no way to deny the truth. She had him, and she had let him get away. 
the vibrations of another explosion. This one far away in some deep chamber of the dungeon, rumbled up through the floor, reminding her she was out of time. Cursing her missed opportunity, she turned and ran back the way she had come, racing for her ship. Overhead, the evacuation alarms continued to wail. Bane had hoped his apprentice would be caught off guard by his unexpected tactic. There was a small chance she would actually be killed by the explosion, buried under the collapsing rock. But as he picked himself up in the aftermath, he could sense she was still alive. Despite the fact she'd been trying to kill him, the knowledge brought him a small measure of satisfaction. He had trained her well. The primary goal of the explosion hadn't been to kill her anyway. The desperate ploy was actually Bane's last chance to escape a battle he knew he couldn't win. In that, he had been successful. Though, if he wanted to survive, he still had to find a way out of the prison before the whole place came crashing down. He had no real sense of where he was in the labyrinthine dungeon. Before Xana found him, he had been following Kalib's daughter, letting the force guide him with no real conscious thought as to the path he was taking. Reaching out with his mind, he sensed that the princess was gone now, but Bane had slaughtered more than a dozen guards during his escape. They had to have shuttles somewhere in the facility, and even if he didn't know where to find them, he knew he could trust in the force. He broke into a run, darting left and right down passages as they opened up without any thought or hesitation, doing his best to ignore the incessant howls of the evacuation alarms. Throughout his life, even before he had known who and what he was, he had been guided by the Force. During his military career, he had led a charmed life, somehow leading the Gloomwalkers virtually unscathed through some of the war's bloodiest campaigns. He had simply considered himself lucky, or blessed with good instincts. He skidded around a corner, his boots losing traction for a second. At the same time, he felt the shock wave of a massive explosion rippling up from chambers somewhere far below. He fought for his balance and managed to keep his feet, accelerating down the next hall. It was impossible to tell if he was going in the right direction. The unadorned stone walls looked the same in every passage. He felt the reverberations of a second distant explosion reminding him that he was running out of time. Yet the slope of the corridor was leading him upward, which encouraged him. It was only after he had begun his training at the Sith Academy on Korriban that he realized his incredible run of fortune had actually been a manifestation of the Force. Even before he was aware of its power, it had acted through him, shaping the events of his life by guiding and directing his choices and actions. Learning to harness that power to take control of his destiny rather than to let it keep controlling him, had allowed him to ascend to his current position. The Force had become a tool. Its power was his to command and bend to his will. But here, only minutes away from complete annihilation, Bane allowed himself to revert to the ways of his youth. Focusing on trying to find a way out would require effort and concentration that would only slow him down. He couldn't think and plan. He had to react and hope. He wheeled around another corner, sprinted down a short hall, and charged out onto a steel balcony overlooking a massive high-roofed chamber. He arrived just in time to see a shuttle with a Doan royal crest rising up and flying away. For an instant he thought the princess might be on board. 
However, when he reached out, he felt a very different presence piloting the craft. Someone with a powerful connection to the dark side. Bane couldn't allow his attention to be drawn by the mysterious individual escaping in the shuttle, however. He had a far more pressing problem. From his vantage point atop the balcony, he could clearly see the Iktochi, who had led the ambush against him back at his mansion. She was dressed in the same black cloak, and she was standing beside a black and red shuttle. She had been looking at the escaping vehicle, but as it sped away, she turned to face Bane. Seeing him, an expression of satisfaction flickered across her features. I have been waiting for you, she called out to him. The last time they had fought, she had bested him. This time, he was unarmed and drained from his battle with Xana. Yet he was still confident he could defeat her. Without the advantage of surprise and 20 mercenaries backing her up, she was no match for him one-on-one. -on -one. And if she cut him with her poisoned blades again, he'd be ready to burn away the toxin before it overwhelmed his system. Bane grabbed the railing of the balcony and pulled himself over, ignoring the tremor caused by another explosion from inside the facility. His feet were already moving as he hit the floor below, driving him toward his foe. To his surprise, the Iktochi didn't retreat as he bore down on her. She didn't even draw her weapons. Instead, she dropped to one knee and bowed her head, holding her hands out palms up as if presenting him with an offering. The unexpected reaction caused him to pull up short a few meters from her. At this distance, he could clearly see she was holding the hooked handle of his missing lightsaber and what appeared to be his own holocron in her hands. A gift, my lord, she said, tilting her head to look up at him. You tried to kill me, Bane said warily, not taking his eyes off her. I was hired to capture you, she corrected. It was just a job. Now that job is finished. Reaching out, Bane took the hilt from her hand. His fingers slipped around the familiar curved grip and ignited the blade. The Iktochi rose to her feet but showed no fear. Why are you still here? Bane asked. I knew you had broken free, she explained. I hoped you might come here during your escape. You had a premonition I would find you? Bane was aware the Iktochi was supposed to have precognitive abilities, but he had only the vaguest idea of how powerful or accurate their visions might be. Night after night, I have seen you in my visions, she answered. Our destinies are intertwined. What if your destiny is to die at my hand? He asked, raising up his blade. Neither of us is fated to die in this place, my lord. As if in opposition to her words, another explosion from inside the facility rocked the chamber. What do you want from me? Let me study under you, she implored, seemingly oblivious to the rapidly mounting danger from the collapsing prison. Instruct me in the dark side. Teach me the ways of the Sith. Do you realize what you are asking? Bane demanded. My existence has no meaning, the Iktochi explained. You can give my life purpose. You can guide me to my destiny. What can you offer me in return? Loyalty. Devotion. A shuttle to escape this prison before it collapses. 
and Kaleeb's daughter. The next explosion was close enough that they could actually hear it echoing from down the hall. I accept, Bane said, extinguishing his lightsaber after a moment's consideration. Less than a minute later, they were aboard the Tochi shuttle, leaving the stone prison and the final violent throes of its destruction behind them. Xana was retracing her steps, following the long route back through the dungeon and up to the small hangar where she hoped Set and her shuttle would still be waiting for her. Her entire body was infused with the force, her legs propelling her along so fast the wind caused her hair to stream out behind her. As she ran, she could feel the tremors rising up from deep within the dungeon, each blast a little nearer than the one before it. The explosion Bane had caused had been a single charge set off by his crackling bolt of lightning. These explosions were far more powerful. Eight or ten charges in close proximity, all detonating at the same time. Collapsing not a small stretch of corridor, but rather an entire section of the facility. By the time she crossed from the lit halls of the reopened areas of the dungeon, into the darkened passages of the unused wing where she had first come in, the explosions were close enough for her to hear them, as well as feel the vibrations through the floor. They were coming more frequently now, too. Instead of every ten seconds, they pounded out in a steady rhythm. She plunged into the blackness, not even bothering with a glow stick. Her breath was ragged and irregular, but her stride never faltered. Every muscle and nerve in her body was tingling with the power of the Force. Her senses heightened to supernatural levels. She didn't need to see to find her way. Like a bat, she could hear the alarms echoing off the walls, floor, and ceiling, painting a sonar image of her surroundings. The rumbling boom, boom, boom of the charges rang out in counterpoint to the wail of the alarms. When she burst into the hangar, where her shuttle waited, she was surprised by two things. The first was how bright the lights from her shuttle seemed after the total darkness of the subterranean passages she had been racing through. The second was that said hearth was missing. She'd always suspected he might cut and run, but she couldn't think of a reason Set would disappear but still leave her shuttle behind. She didn't have time to worry about it now, however. She heard the roar of another explosion, this one so close it actually made the walls of the hangar shake. Jumping into the shuttle, she fired it up as another detonation caused the entire vessel to rock back and forth on its struts. Fighting not to be thrown from the pilot's chair, Xana pulled back on the stick and the ship rose up off the ground. Banking sharply, she turned it toward the entrance and jammed her fist down on the thrusters. The victory sprang forward, hurtling through the cavern's mouth as the final explosion set off the charges built into the hangar walls, collapsing the entire structure behind her. Safely away, Xana punched in a trajectory and activated the autopilot, letting the ship skim across Doan's surface as she tried to catch her breath. The mad dash to freedom had left her both mentally and physically exhausted. Her body was covered in sweat, and the muscles of her thighs and calves were quivering as she slumped in her seat, threatening to cramp up at any second. She had survived, but she could hardly call the mission a success. She had let Bane slip through her fingers, 
and she had no doubt her master had found a way to escape the stone prison's destruction, just as she had. On top of that, she had lost her apprentice. She didn't know if Set had escaped, or if he had perished in the blast, and she had no easy way to find out. The connection she had forged with Bane over twenty years was strong enough to stretch across the breadth of the galaxy. She would feel his death no matter where or when it happened. Set had only been her apprentice for a few days. She would sense him if he was in close proximity, as she would any individual who possessed a powerful affinity for the Force. But there was no special bond between them. But Set was the least of her problems. Bane was still out there, and as soon as he found another lightsaber, he'd come looking for her. Unless she found him first. The problem was, Xana had no idea where to begin her search. Chapter 24 The stone prison's escape shuttle was small in size and lacked the luxuries of the princess's personal ship. But it had been fitted with a Class V hyperdrive and was well provisioned for interstellar travel. Theoretically, if there was ever a need to activate the dungeon's self-destruct sequence, there was also a strong possibility that key members of the royal family or their staff might be forced to flee Doan. In Sarah's case, this was actually true. She could only imagine the political fallout she had caused. The king's father had decommissioned the stone prison. Officially, it was still inactive. Its destruction would lead to a host of questions as to what exactly was going on in the complex beneath the royal family's estate. Any investigations would turn up nothing, of course. The demolition charges had been carefully engineered to inflict maximum structural damage. Any proposed recovery operation would prove too expensive and impractical. Whatever secrets the stone prison held would be buried forever. That wouldn't stop the rumors and speculation, though. The miners already mistrusted the nobility. Discovering the infamous dungeons had been reopened, even temporarily, would stir up bad blood and reopen old wounds. Sympathy and recruitment for the rebels would increase. Her own disappearance would add to the confusion. But in the long run, it would be better if she just disappeared. She had sworn loyalty to House Doan, and she had betrayed them, bringing trouble and misfortune down on Garen's kin. If the king and everyone else believed she was dead, sealed away forever beneath 10,000 tons of rock, it would be easier for them to clean up the mess she had left behind. Unable to return to her home on Doan, she had charted a course for the only other place in the galaxy she had ever known happiness. However, as she brought the shuttle in to land on the edge of her father's camp on Ambria, it wasn't joy she was feeling. In the space of only a few short months, it seemed as if she had lost everything. Alone, confused, and racked by guilt, she had come here in the hope of finding peace for herself and for her friend. It was early evening. The last light of day was just fading over the horizon as she unloaded Lucia's body. Laying her friend gently on the ground, she returned to the shuttle and found a small shovel tucked away in the supplies at the back. The sandy ground was soft, making her chore far easier than it would have been on most other worlds. Even so, 
It took her more than an hour of steady digging before the grave was complete. As best she could, she lowered Lucia's body into the hole she had dug, then picked up the shovel and buried her friend. The desert heat had faded quickly with the setting of the sun, and once her exertions were over, the chill made Sarah shiver. But the physical activity had been cathartic. The numbness that had clouded her thoughts and emotions had faded. A light breeze kicked up, and she shivered. Instead of going to the shuttle, however, she crossed the camp and sought shelter in her father's old abandoned shack. Inside, she huddled in a corner and closed her eyes. She could still feel her father's presence here. Even though he was gone, being in this place made it easy to call up memories. His face. His voice. She was able to draw solace from them. As if her father's quiet strength and wisdom were somehow being passed from the place he had lived nearly all of his adult life into her. It was only now that she realized how wrong she had been. Kalib had always warned her about the evils of the dark side. Yet when the time came, she had ignored his words. And everything that had gone wrong, all the blood that now stained her hands, could be traced back to her own hatred and desire for revenge. It had begun with Garen's death. Instead of grieving and moving on, she had clung to her sorrow until it transformed into bitter anger that consumed her every waking moment. In desperation, Lucia had hired an assassin to seek revenge on her behalf in the hopes it could somehow save her friend from the darkness that had enveloped her. Instead, she had unwittingly set in motion the wheels of Sarah's downfall. The Huntress had slain the Jedi Med Tandar. This led to the involvement of the Council and the King. When Lucia confessed her actions to Sarah, she should have been horrified. Her father would have been. She should have told the king about the assassin, leaving Lucia's name out of it to protect her friend. She could have averted all the suffering that was to come with one simple act of honesty. Instead, she chose to deceive him, hoarding the secret and reveling in the terrible crime committed on her behalf. That lie had resulted in her trip to Coruscant, where she had learned about her father's fate. Looking back, she had no doubt Kalib had given his life rather than submit to the will of the dark side. But instead of honoring his memory and following his example, she let her grief twist and pervert her sense of justice. Yet again, she let anger and hate rule her actions, and Lucia was sent out to hire the Huntress for a second job. When the dark man of her dreams was captured, Sarah was given yet another chance to turn away from the Abyss. She could have turned him over to the authorities. Instead, she chose to imprison and torture him. By this point, she had sunk so far into the pit of darkness that even Lucia had sensed her corruption. Her friend had tried to warn her. She had recognized what Sarah was turning into. But now Lucia was dead as well. Anger, revenge, deception, cruelty, hate. These were the ways of the dark side. Ever since Garen's death, Sarah had allowed them to dominate her life drawing her farther and farther down the path. And it was only now, cowering alone in the corner of a hut in the middle of the desert, that she understood the true price. The dark side destroys. It can't bring peace or closure. It only brings misery and death. Kalib had understood this. He had tried to teach her. But she had failed him. And it had cost her everything. 
I'm sorry, Father, she whispered, reaching up to wipe a tear from her eye. Now I understand. What was done could not be undone. She would have to live with the burden of her crimes. But going forward, she would not allow herself to be seduced by the dark side again. Whatever fate awaited her, whatever consequence or punishment befell her, she would accept it with stoic calm and quiet strength. I am still my father's daughter. Bane was well aware how close he had come to dying at Xana's hand in the stone prison. Yet, he was still alive, proof of his enduring strength and power. He had gone in a prisoner, but he had emerged more powerful than when he had entered. Andedu's holocron may have been lost, most likely buried forever in the dungeon's collapse, but he had already claimed its most precious knowledge, the secret of essence transfer. And though his apprentice was still alive, he might just have found her replacement. He studied the Iktochi carefully as she worked the shuttle's controls, making subtle adjustments to keep them on course as they left the calm vacuum of space and descended into the turbulence of Ambria's atmosphere. She had told him her name was the Huntress, and that she had spent the past five years as a freelance assassin, honing her ability to identify and exploit weakness in her targets. It was hard to argue with the results. In her brief encounters with Bane, she had already demonstrated both notable ambition and incredible potential. Her achievements were even more impressive when one considered that she had never been given any formal training in the ways of the Force. Everything she did came from natural ability, pure instinct, raw power. Her ability to disrupt the Force in others only gave further testament to her strength. She had never been trained in this rare and difficult technique. She simply unleashed it against her enemies through sheer force of will, crude but effective. However, it was her other talent that truly intrigued the Dark Lord. How did you track me to see you, Trick? He asked as the shuttle dropped down toward the planet's desert surface. My visions, the Huntress explained. If I concentrate, they allow me to see images, people, places. Sometimes I catch glimpses of the future, though they do not always come true. The future is never static, Bane told her. It is constantly shaped by the Force, and those with the power to control the Force. Sometimes I also see visions of the past, memories of what was. I saw you here on Ambria, with a young blonde woman, my apprentice. She still lives, for now. On the horizon, they could see the first light of Ambria's sun stretching out toward them. As the bright yellow beams fell across the nose of the shuttle, Bane couldn't help but wonder how far the Iktochi's abilities could extend if she was given proper instruction and guidance. He had the wisdom to interpret events and foresee their most likely outcome, but he rarely experienced true visions of the future. He was able to manipulate the galaxy around him driving it inexorably toward a time in which all bowed down to the Sith. But it was a struggle to keep everything on course. His long-term plans to wipe out the Jedi and rule the galaxy were in a constant state of flux, 
reacting to unexpected and completely unforeseeable events that altered the social and political landscape. Each time this happened, Bain had to retreat and regroup until he was able to evaluate and properly react to the changes. But if the Huntress could learn to properly harness her power, the Sith would no longer be limited only to reacting. They could anticipate and predict these random changes, preparing for them long before they happened. And there was an even greater possibility. Bane knew fate was not preordained. There were many possible futures, and the Force allowed her to see only examples of what might be. If she could learn to sort through her visions, separating out the various divergent timelines, was it possible she could actually control them too? Could she one day have the power to alter the future simply by thinking about it? Could she use the power of the Force to shape the very fabric of existence and make her chosen visions become reality? In the hangar you said you were waiting for me, Bane noted, anxious to get a better understanding of her talent. Your visions told you I was coming? Not exactly. I had a sense of something. I could feel the significance of the moment, though I didn't know what would happen. My instincts told me it would be to my benefit to wait. Bane nodded. Are your instincts ever wrong? Rarely. Is that why we're here on Ambria? Your visions, your instincts told you Kalib's daughter would come here? The princess met me here when she hired me to find you. The assassin replied, This place haunts her. I didn't need a vision to know this was where she would run. The Dark Lord smiled. She was smart as well as powerful. A few minutes later, the ship touched down on the edge of Kalib's camp, landing beside a small escape shuttle. Disembarking from the craft, Bane was reminded of the power trapped within Ambria's surface. The Force had once devastated this world before its power was trapped by an ancient Jedi Master in the depths of Lake Nath. Now the planet was a nexus of both dark and light side power. He noticed a freshly dug grave a few meters off to one side, but he didn't give it a second glance. The dead were of no consequence to him. With long, purposeful steps, he made his way across the camp toward the dilapidated shack. The Huntress followed at his side, matching him stride for stride. Before he reached his destination, however, the princess emerged from the hut to confront him. She was unarmed and alone, but unlike their last meeting in the prison cell, he didn't sense any fear in her this time. There was a sense of serenity about her, a tranquility that reminded Bane of his first meeting with her father. Bane's own mood had changed as well. He was no longer driven by an unquenchable desire for bloody vengeance. In the stone prison, he had needed to draw strength from his anger to survive and defeat his enemies. Here, however, he was in no danger. Afforded the luxury of careful consideration, he had realized that there was no need to kill her. Not if he could make use of her skills. They stood face to face, staring at each other, neither speaking. In the end, it was Sarah who broke the silence. Did you see the grave when you landed? I buried Lucia there last night. When Bane didn't respond, she slowly reached up and wiped a single tear away from her eye before continuing. She saved your life. Don't you even care that she's dead? 
The dead have no value to the living, he told her. She was your friend. Whatever she was is gone. Now she is nothing but decaying flesh and bone. She didn't deserve this. Her death was pointless. Your father's death was pointless, Bane said. He had a valuable skill. Twice he saved my life when no other could have healed me. Had it been my choice, I would have left him alive in case I ever needed his services a third time. He would have never helped you by choice, Sarah countered. There was no anger in her voice, though her words had the steely ring of truth. But he did help me, Bane reminded her. He was useful. I could have a use for you as well, if you share his talent. My father taught me everything he knew, she admitted. But like him, I will never help a monster like you. She turned to address the Iktochi standing silently by Bane's side. If you follow this man, he will destroy you, she warned. I've seen the rewards given to those who walk the path of the dark side. The dark side will give me power, the huntress replied confidently. It will guide me to my destiny. Only a fool believes that, the princess replied. Look at me. I gave in to my hate. I let it consume me. My desire for revenge cost me everything and everyone I care about. The dark side will devour those who lack the power to control it. Bane agreed. It's a fierce storm of emotion that annihilates anything in its path. It lays waste to the weak and unworthy. But those who are strong, he added, can ride the storm winds to unfathomable heights. They can unlock their true potential. They can sever the chains that bind them. They can dominate the world around them. Only those with the power to control the dark side can ever truly be free. No, Sarah replied, gently shaking her head. I don't believe that. The dark side is evil. You are evil, and I will never serve you. There was a quiet defiance in her words, and Bane sensed nothing he could say or do would ever persuade her. For a brief moment, he considered attempting the ritual of essence transfer, then quickly dismissed the idea. The ritual would consume his physical form, and if he failed to possess her body, his spirit would be trapped forever in the void. Her will was as strong as her father's, and he didn't know if he was powerful enough to overcome it. He didn't need to do this now. He still had several years before his current body failed completely. It was better to wait and try to find a technician to create a clone body. That, or find someone younger and more innocent. She is of no use to us, Master, the Iktochi noted, an eager gleam in her eye. May I kill her for you? He nodded, and the Huntress stepped forward, advancing slowly on the other woman. Bane sensed the assassin liked to savor the kill, reveling in the fear and pain of her victims. But Sarah made no move to defend herself. She didn't try to run or beg for mercy. Instead, she stood perfectly still, willing to meet her fate with mute acceptance. Recognizing she would get no satisfaction from Kaleeb's daughter, the assassin ended Sarah's life. Chapter 25 
Xana's fingers hesitated over the Victory's nav panel as she pondered her next destination. Ever since escaping the stone prison, she had kept the shuttle in a low-level orbit around Done. She didn't want to go back to Seutric. Bane was still alive, and she needed to find him. But she didn't think he'd be returning to their home anytime soon. For a time, she had considered heading to Set's estate on Nar Shadda. If he was dead, he certainly couldn't object if she used his place as a temporary base while she set out to hunt down her master. And if he happened to be there when she arrived, if he had somehow escaped the dungeon's collapse, then Xana had plenty of questions for him. However, the more she thought about confronting the man she had chosen as her apprentice, the less the idea appealed to her. Looking back, it was clear to her that Set had been a mistake. Over-eager to assume the role of Dark Lord, she had convinced herself that he was an acceptable choice. Desperate to find an apprentice of her own, she had ignored his obvious flaws. Set was a dangerous man, one she suspected she might have to deal with later on if she discovered he was still alive, but he wasn't fit to be a Sith. His affinity for the Force was strong, and he willingly embraced many of the Dark Side's more self-serving aspects. But he lacked discipline. He was consumed by worldly wants and desires that clouded his greater vision. Worst of all, he clearly lacked ambition. Xana had lured him into her service with a combination of threats to his life and promises of power. But she had been deceiving herself as much as Set. It was obvious he had no real desire to rule the galaxy. He was content with his lot in life and was unwilling to make the sacrifices necessary to turn himself into something more. And for some reason, she had been unable to see it. Maybe she was afraid to look. Maybe Set reminded her too much of herself. The words Bane had thrown at her when she accused him of violating the Rule of Two still rang in her mind. I waited years for you to challenge me, but you were content to toil in my shadow. Was he right? Was it possible that on some level she was afraid of taking on the responsibility of Sith Master? No. She had tried to kill him. Tried and failed, even though Bane didn't have his lightsaber. Was it possible she hadn't really been trying to beat him? Had some small part of her subconscious mind held her back just enough so that Bane could survive until he saw his chance to escape? No. That's what he wants me to think. Bane's words had been a ploy. He was trying to undermine her confidence, looking for any edge that would let him survive. But he was wrong. Xana had truly wanted to kill him in the halls of the dungeon, and yet somehow, he still managed to live. Xana was forced to admit that there was another even more disturbing possibility. Was Bane simply stronger than her? If she couldn't defeat him when he was unarmed, what chance would she have once he reclaimed his lightsaber? No, that didn't make sense either. Bane may have escaped with his life, but her master did not win that battle. Her lightsaber had given her a huge advantage. It had forced Bane to be on the defensive. So why hadn't she been able to finish him? She had obviously made a tactical error. But what was it? The question gnawed at her as she sat back in her seat and crossed her arms, the nav computer still awaiting its next destination. She bit down on her lip, concentrating. The answer was there. 
She just had to figure it out. In her mind, she replayed the scenario, analyzing it over and over again. She had been patient, careful. Because of this, her master had been able to keep her at bay despite her advantage. But if she had been more aggressive during the duel, she would have opened herself up to a potentially lethal counterattack. Was that the answer? Did she have to risk defeat to claim victory? Xana shook her head. That wasn't it. Bane had taught her that risk should always be minimized. Gambles relied on luck. Take enough chances and sooner or later luck will turn against you, even with the force on your side. And then it came to her. She had tried to defeat him using brute force. She had fought the battle on his terms. She would never be Bane's equal in physical strength. He would always be superior to her in martial skill. So why had she tried to defeat him in lightsaber combat when her true talents lay elsewhere? She had fallen into his trap. He had pretended to have a weapon, knowing she would see through his bluff. Bane had wanted her to focus on his missing lightsaber above all else. He was goading her into battle. Using her lightsaber to defeat an unarmed opponent was the simplest, most obvious path to victory. One Bane had expertly led her down, but the most obvious path was rarely the best one. Bane didn't fear her blades. There was only one thing she possessed that he was wary of. Sith sorcery. Xana could do things with the force that Bane couldn't even attempt. She could attack the minds of her opponents, turning their own thoughts and dreams against them. During her apprenticeship, Bane had encouraged her in her studies of the magical arts. He had given her ancient texts filled with arcane rituals, urging her to expand her knowledge and push the boundaries of her talent. He had directed her training so that she could achieve her full potential. But he did not realize just how far she had come. In addition to the tomes her master had provided, Xana had sought out her own sources of hidden Sith knowledge over the years. Practicing in secret, she had progressed far beyond Bane's expectations, learning new spells to unleash the dark side in ways he had never even imagined. Next time we meet, Master, I will show you just how powerful I have become. She had a feeling that meeting would be soon. Bane was out there, somewhere, plotting and planning for their next encounter. If she didn't find him soon, Xana knew then he would find her. Night was falling by the time the Huntress returned to the camp. Bane had ordered her to bury Sarah's body, not out of a sense of respect or honor, but simply to keep away scavengers and remove the corpse before it began to decay. To her credit, the Tochi hadn't protested or questioned his command. She either understood the need or trusted his judgment. While she was gone, Bane had collected kindling from a small woodpile at the back of the hut and started a fire to ward off the chill. The Iktochi now stood before him, the glow of the flames transforming her red skin to a bright sinister orange. You said you want me to teach you, he noted crouching down to stir the fire with a stick. He held it in his left hand, his grip tight, to keep the tremor from returning. I want to learn the ways of the Sith. If you are to become my apprentice, you must cast away the chains of your old life. 
You must sever all ties to family and friends. I have none. You will not be able to return to your home. You must be willing to leave behind all your worldly possessions. Wealth and material goods mean nothing to me, she replied. I crave only power and purpose. With power, anything you want or need can simply be taken. With purpose, your life has meaning. Bane nodded approvingly, stirring the fire once more before continuing. If you become my apprentice, who you were will cease to exist. You must be reborn in the ways of the dark side. I'm ready, my lord. There was no mistaking the eagerness in her voice. Then choose a new name for yourself, as a symbol of your new and greater existence. Cognus, she said after a moment's consideration. Bane was impressed. She understood that power rested not in her blades or her bloodlust, but in her knowledge, wisdom, and ability to see the future. A good name, he said, setting the stick down and rising to his full height. As he did so, the Iktachi dropped to one knee before him and bowed her head. From this day forward, you are Darth Cognus of the Sith, he said. I am ready to begin my training, Cognus replied, still down on one knee before him. Not yet, he said, walking past her and heading to the shuttles on the far side of the camp. There is still one important matter to take care of. Cognus jumped up to follow him. Your old apprentice, she guessed. Or was it a guess? Bane stopped and turned back toward her. Have you seen what will happen between me and my apprentice? Ever since I came to this world to meet the princess, I have dreamed of you both, Cognus admitted. But the meaning is unclear. Tell me what you've seen, Bane ordered. The details are always changing. Different locations, different worlds, different times of the day or night. At times I see her dead at your feet. Other times she is the victor. I have tried to make sense of it, but there are too many contradictions. The future of the Sith is precariously balanced between Zan and myself, Bane explained. Whoever survives our confrontation will control the destiny of the Sith but our strength is too evenly matched for you to foresee the outcome. The Iktochi didn't reply, pondering his words in silence. Bane left her alone to think on her first lesson, continuing on to her vessel. He passed the twin graves without a second glance. Climbing inside the shuttle, he set the calm transmitter to the frequency of Xana's personal shuttle and sent out a coded distress signal. Zana had drifted off into a restless sleep, only to be awakened by a slow, steady beep from her control console. Examining the source, she saw it was a long-range distress call. Instead of being broadcast across multiple band lengths, however, this one was coming in on the Victory's private channel. Only one person besides her knew that frequency. Curious, she decoded the message. It comprised only four words. Ambria. The healer's camp. Her first thought was that Bane was setting a trap for her, trying to lure her in. But the more she thought about it, the less likely that seemed. 
It was obvious who the message was from. If he was setting a trap, why reveal himself like this when it would only put her on her guard? Maybe he just wanted this to end. Before drifting off to sleep, Xana had been thinking about what he had said to her before the confrontation in the halls of the stone prison. Only the strongest has the right to rule the Sith. The title of Dark Lord must be seized, wrenched from the all-powerful grasp of the Master. If Bane still believed in the rule of two, if he still believed it was the key to the survival and eventual dominance of the Sith, then this message was a challenge, an invitation to his apprentice to come to Ambria and end what they had begun in the stone prison. She had to admit, it was better than wasting years chasing each other across the galaxy, setting traps and plotting each other's destruction. Bane had reinvented the Sith so that their resources and efforts would be focused against their enemies rather than each other. When the apprentice challenged the master, it was meant to be decided in a single confrontation, quick, clean, and final. Now, however, the order had been fractured. They were no longer master and apprentice, but competing rivals for the mantle of Sith Lord. They were effectively at war, and as long as they both lived, the Sith would be divided. Was it so hard to believe that, for the sake of the Order, Bane wanted to end it with a duel on Ambria? If Bane still honored the rule he had created, then the message could be taken at face value. But what about Andedu's holocron? She had initially thought he was seeking eternal life so that he could defy the rule of two by living forever. Now, she wasn't so certain. Would immortality really be a violation of the rule's underlying principles? The secrets inside the holocron might keep Bane from aging, but she didn't think they could protect him from falling in battle. If she was strong enough to defeat him, she would still earn her place as master just as Bane had intended when he first found her as a young girl on Rusan. Now she wondered if the Holocron was just a safeguard to keep the Order strong. Perhaps Bane saw it as a way to protect against an unworthy candidate ascending to the Sith throne simply because the Master became weak and infirm with age. Xana leaned forward and plotted in a course for Ambria, wondering what had made Bane choose the Healer's Camp as the location of their final encounter. The world was steeped in the energies of the dark side. For the first decade of her apprenticeship, Bane and Xana had dwelled there near the shores of Lake Nath. But he wasn't calling her back to their camp. He was waiting for her at Kalib's. Two times the Dark Lord had nearly died there. Did that have anything to do with his choice of location? Or was there some other explanation? It was still possible she was about to walk into a trap. Ambria was a sparsely inhabited world. It would be easy to make preparations there without drawing unwanted attention. Yet, her instincts told her that wasn't what Bane was plotting. And if her instincts were wrong about something as important as this, then she deserved whatever was waiting for her. Either way, she reasoned as the ship made the jump into hyperspace, this will all be over soon. Night had passed on Ambria giving way to the scorching heat of day. With the rising of the sun, Bane and Cognus had retreated inside the shelter of the hut. There the Dark Lord had sat cross-legged on the floor, meditating and gathering his strength in preparation for Xana's arrival. She'll probably show up with an army at her heels, Dictochi warned, 
Bane shook his head. She knows she must face me alone. I don't understand. The Sith used to be as plentiful as the Jedi. Unlike the Jedi, however, those who served sought to tear their leaders down. Their ambition was natural. This is the way of the dark side. It is what drives us, gives us strength. Yet, it can also destroy us if not properly controlled. Under the old ways, a powerful leader would be brought down by the combined strength of many lesser Sith working together. It was inevitable, a cycle that repeated over and over, and each time, the Order as a whole grew weaker. The strongest were killed and the weak tore the Sith apart with their petty wars of succession. Meanwhile, the Jedi remained united, confident in the knowledge their enemies were too busy fighting one another to ever defeat them. You discovered a way to break this cycle, Cognus chimed in. Now, everything we do is guided by the rule of two, Bane explained. One master, one apprentice. This assures that the master will only fall to a worthy successor. Xana knows that if she is to rule in my place, she must prove she is more powerful by defeating me herself. Cognus nodded. I understand, Master. I will not interfere when she arrives. As if on cue, the sound of a shuttle's engines roared through the camp. The two of them rose to their feet and stepped out into the desert heat, just as Xana's ship touched down. She emerged a few seconds later. As Bane had predicted, she was alone. He marched forward to meet her, Cognus hanging back near the entrance to the hut. He stopped in the center of the camp. Xana took her stand halfway between the shuttles and where Bane now stood, eyeing the Iktochi in the background suspiciously. She will not interfere, Bane assured her. Who is she? A new apprentice. She has sworn allegiance to you? She is loyal to the Sith, Bane explained. I want to learn the ways of the dark side, Cognus called out to Xana. I want to serve under a true Sith Master. If you defeat Bane, I will swear my loyalty to you. Xana tilted her head to the side, studying the Iktachi carefully, before nodding her agreement to the offer. Who lies in the graves? She asked, turning her attention back to Bane. Kaleb's daughter and her bodyguard, he replied. She was the one who imprisoned me. She fled here when the stone prison was destroyed. He felt no need to explain in any further detail. Xana didn't need to know who Lucia was or her connection to Bane. I wondered why you chose this place to meet, Xana muttered. I thought it might have some symbolic meaning for you. Bane shook his head. The last time we were here, you were too weak to even stand, his apprentice reminded him. You were helpless, and you thought I had betrayed you to the Jedi. You said you would rather die than be a prisoner for the rest of your life. You wanted me to take your life, but I refused. You knew I still had things to teach you, Bane recalled. You swore you would not kill me until you had learned all my secrets. That day is here, Xana informed him, igniting the twin blades of her lightsaber. Bane drew out his own weapon in response the shimmering blade rising up from the curved hilt with a low hum. 
the two combatants dropped into fighting stances and began to circle slowly. I have surpassed you, Bane, Xana warned him. Now I am the master. Then prove it. He lunged toward her, and the battle began. Chapter 26 Xana expected Bane to come at her aggressively, but even so, she was caught off guard by the ferociousness of his attack. He opened with a series of two-handed overhead chops, using his great height to bring his blade hacking down at her from above. She easily blocked each blow, but the momentum of the crushing impact caused her to stagger back, throwing her off balance. She recovered quickly, however, spinning out of the way when he followed up with a low, looping swipe meant to hew her off at the knees. She retaliated with a quick jab with the tip of one of her blades toward Bane's face, but he ducked his head to the side and came back with a wide-arcing single-handed slash at chest level. Xana intercepted his blade with one of her own, angling her weapon so that the momentum of Bane's attack was redirected downward, sending the tip of his lightsaber into the dirt. This should have exposed him to a counterthrust, but he was already reacting to her move, driving his entire body forward into Xana's before she could bring her weapon up. His weight slammed into her, knocking her back as Bane snapped his neck forward. Xana threw her head back just in time, and the headbutt that would have smashed her face glanced off her chin instead. Scrambling to stay on her feet, Xana raised her weapon back up, spinning the handle so that the twirling blades formed a defensive wall that repelled Bane's next half a dozen blows. During her years under Bane, they had sparred hundreds of times. During these sessions, she had always known he was keeping something in reserve for the day they would inevitably fight for real. Only now did she realize just how much he had been holding back. He was faster than she could ever have imagined, and he was using new sequences and unfamiliar moves he had never revealed during their practice sessions. But somehow, she had survived the initial flurry, and now she knew what to expect. The next exchange had a more familiar feel. Bane pressed the action with a devastating complex combination of attacks, but Xana was able to intercept, parry, or deflect each one. Her defensive style was simple, but performed correctly, it was nearly impenetrable. Recognizing this, Bane backed off and changed tactics. Instead of a savage, relentless pressure meant to overwhelm her, he settled into a pattern of feints and quick thrusts, probing and prodding her defenses in search of a weakness as the two of them settled in for a long battle of attrition. Xana had fought him once before, back when he was still encased in his Orvalisk armor. She remembered it had been like battling a force of nature. The chitinous parasites covering his entire body had been impervious to lightsaber attacks, allowing him to attack with pure animal rage. She had survived that encounter only by convincing Bane she hadn't betrayed him. And in the end, he had let her live. His style back then had been brutish and simple, though undeniably effective. Now, however, his technique was more advanced. Unable to simply bully his way heedlessly forward, he had developed an unpredictable, seemingly random style. Each time she thought she could anticipate where the next attack was coming from, he changed tactics, disrupting the rhythm of the battle and causing her to give ground. She was being driven back in a slow retreat and she realized he was herding her toward the shuttles, 
hoping to pin her against the metal hull with no place to go. Zana was content to play along, taking quick, careful steps backward over the soft, sandy terrain as she began to gather her power. The key was subtlety. She couldn't let Vane sense what she was doing, or he would launch into another wild flurry of attacks, forcing her to focus all her energy on keeping him at bay. She had to give him the illusion he was controlling the action, when in fact, she was only a few seconds away from unleashing a burst of dark side sorcery that would rip his mind apart. Bane circled wide, trying to come in on her left flank. Xana simply altered the angle of her retreat, taking several more steps backward to keep him at a safe distance as she swatted away a few token slashes and strikes. With her attention split between the enemy in front of her and the Sith spell she was preparing to cast, Xana didn't notice how close she was to the freshly dug graves. Her heel caught on the uneven ground as she backed up, throwing her off balance as she fell awkwardly to the ground and landed on her back. Bane was on her in an instant, his lightsaber slashing viciously, his heavy boots kicking and stomping at her prone body. Xana thrashed and twisted on the ground, her lightsaber flailing desperately to parry Bane's blade. She felt a sharp crack as the toe of his boot caught her in the ribs, but she rolled with the impact and managed to end up back on her feet. Her vision was blurred with stars, pain shooting through her left side with each gasp as she tried to catch her breath. Bane didn't let up, coming at her with a frenetic assault. The next few seconds were a blur as Xana relied purely on instincts honed over 20 years to parry the wave of blows, miraculously keeping him from landing a lethal strike. Xana threw herself into a back handspring, flipping head over heels three times in quick succession just to put some space between her and Bane. Before the fourth one, she suddenly stopped and went into a crouch, thrusting forward with her lightsaber like a spear to impale her opponent as he charged after her in pursuit. Only Bane wasn't there. Anticipating her move, he had stopped several meters away. Gritting her teeth against the pain from her broken rib, Xana rose to her feet. Bane hadn't killed her, but her survival had come with significant cost. She was tired now. The desperate scramble to escape after tripping on the grave had pushed her one step closer to physical exhaustion. She felt the broken rib with each ragged breath, and she sensed that the injury would make it harder for her to pivot and turn, limiting the effectiveness of her defensive maneuvers. She couldn't wait any longer. She'd wanted to surprise Bane, slowly gather her strength before unleashing it so he wouldn't be able to properly defend against it but she knew she wouldn't survive another clash of lightsabers. Opening herself up to the power of the dark side, Xana reached out and touched the mind of her master. Bane sensed the attack, bracing himself. He had encouraged Xana's training in Sith sorcery, knowing she might very well use it against him one day. If it turned out he wasn't strong enough to survive, then he wasn't worthy of being the Dark Lord of the Sith. That didn't mean he was unprepared, however. Dark side sorcery was complex. It attacked the Psyche in ways that were difficult to explain, and even more difficult to defend against. Bane had no talent for it, yet he had done his best to study the techniques. What he learned was that the only real counter was the victim's strength of will. Xana's assault began as a sharp pain in his skull, like a hot knife stabbing directly into his brain before carving down to slice the two hemispheres in half. Then the knife exploded, 
sending a million burning shards in every direction, each one burrowed into a subconscious, seeking out buried fears and nightmares, only to rip them free and haul them to the surface. Bane let out a scream and dropped to his knees. When he stood up, the sky was thick with a swarm of flying horrors. Their wings were torn and ragged, leather flaps of skin hanging from exposed bone. Their bodies were small and malformed, their twisted legs ending in long, sharp talons. Their flesh was a sickly yellow, the same color as the faces of the miners who had died in Apatras after being trapped in a gas-filled chamber. Their features were inhuman, but their burning eyes were unmistakable. Each creature was staring at him with the hate-filled gaze of his abusive father. As one, they swooped down on him, their mouths screeching out a cry that sounded like his father's name. Swinging his lightsaber wildly at the demon flock, Bane crouched low to the ground, his free hand coming up to cover his face and ward off the talons clawing at his eyes. As the swarm enveloped him, he caught a glimpse of Xana standing a few meters away, her face frozen in a mask of intense concentration. Bane knew it was a trick. The beasts weren't real. They were just figments of his imagination, born from the repressed memories of his childhood. His greatest fears manifested in physical form. But he had conquered these fears long ago. He had turned his fear of his abusive father into anger and hate. The tools that had given him the strength to endure and eventually escape his life in Apatros. He knew how to defeat these demons, and he struck back. Unleashing a primal scream, he channeled his terror into pure rage and lashed out with the dark side. It tore through the swarm in a burst of searing violet light, utterly obliterating them. Bzana watched as Bane huddled against the ground, his lightsaber flailing wildly at invisible ghosts. But she didn't let her concentration falter. Bane's mind was strong. If she let up even for an instant, he might break free of the spell. For a second, she thought she had won, as Bane let out a shriek, but the burst of energy that followed sent her reeling backward. Regaining her balance, she saw that Bane was on his feet again, and she knew he had resisted the spell. But she still had one more surprise for her master. Again, she opened herself up to the dark side. This time, however, she didn't attack Bane directly. Instead, she let it flow through her, drawing it from the soil and stone of Ambria itself. She called to power buried for centuries, summoning it up to the surface in wispy tendrils of dark smoke snaking up from the sand. The thin tendrils crawled along the ground, reaching for one another, twining themselves together into writhing tentacles each several meters long. Then, in response to her unspoken command, the tentacles rose up and lashed out at her foe. Bane saw the strange black mist crawling across the dirt and knew this was no illusion. Somehow Xana had given substance and corporeality to the dark side, transforming it into half a dozen shadowy serpent-like minions rising up from the ground. Suddenly, the tendrils flew at him. He slashed out with his lightsaber to chop the closest one in half, but the blade simply passed through the black mist with no effect. Bane threw himself to the side, but the tip of the tentacle still brushed against his left shoulder. 
the material of his clothes melted away as if it had been splashed with acid. A chunk of flesh beneath simply dissolved, and Bane screamed in agony. Once, orbalisks had fused themselves to his body with a burning chemical compound so intense it had nearly driven him mad. Ten years ago, they had been removed when Bane's flesh had been literally cooked by a concentrated blast of his own violet lightning. During her interrogation, Sarah had pumped him full of a drug that it felt like it was eating him alive from the inside. But the excruciating pain he felt from the mere touch of the dark side tendril was unlike anything Bane had ever experienced before. The damage was far from life-threatening, but it nearly sent Bane into shock. He fell hard to the ground, his jaw slack, and his eyes rolling back into his head. His mind was reeling from the brief contact. The pain radiated through every nerve in his body, but what he felt went far beyond any mere physical sensation. It was not the raw heat of the dark side, but rather the empty chill of the void itself spreading through him. It touched every synapse in his mind. It clawed at the core of his spirit. In that instant, he tasted utter annihilation and felt the true horror of absolute nothingness. Somehow he managed to stay conscious, and when the next tendril coiled in, he was able to scramble to his feet and roll out of the way. His wounded shoulder was still throbbing, but the hollow darkness that had threatened to overwhelm him had faded, allowing him to ignore the pain. The tendrils were massing for another assault, moving faster as Xana fed them with a steady stream of power. Bane unleashed violet lightning from his fingers, but when the bolt struck the sinewy black forms, they were absorbed with no apparent effect. They were made of pure dark side energy, and there was no way he could harm them. That left him with only one option. Kill Xana before the tentacles killed him. He unleashed another lightning blast at his apprentice. She caught the incoming bolts with her lightsaber, rendering them harmless. But her reactions were a fraction slower than normal, and Bane knew it was more than just her injured ribs. The effort to keep the tendrils animated was pushing Xana's ability to draw on the force to its limits, leaving her vulnerable in other areas. Lightsaber in hand, Bane charged toward her. The tendrils flew to intercept him, but Bane ducked, jumped, and dodged, weaving his way under, over, and around them as he bore down on Xana. She brought her lightsaber up to defend against his attack, but without the full power of the force behind them, her movements were awkward and clumsy. She parried the blow, but didn't react fast enough as Bane dropped down and took her feet out from under her with a sweep of his leg. As she fell, he twisted the handle of his lightsaber so that his blade caught one of hers, wrenching the hilt from her grasp and sending her weapon flying across the camp. With his foe unarmed and helpless at his feet, Bane brought his arm down for the coup de grace only to have it intercepted mid-swing by one of the dark side tendrils. It wrapped itself around the elbow. Skin, muscle, sinew, and bone dissolved instantaneously, severing the limb. His disembodied forearm and fist tumbled harmlessly to the ground, his lightsaber flicking off as the hilt slid from his suddenly nerveless fingers. The Dark Lord didn't scream this time. The pain was so intense, it left him mute as he collapsed to the ground. Everything went black. Blind and alone, he felt the void closing in. In desperation, he reached out with his left hand, 
clutching Xana's wrist as she lay on the ground beside him. With his last act, he summoned all his remaining power and invoked the Ritual of Essence Transfer. Working at the speed of thought, his mind tapped into the currents of the Force, seizing on the power of the dark side, spinning, shaping, and twisting it into the intricate patterns he had ripped from Andedu's holocron. The cold darkness swallowing him up vanished, replaced by a searing burst of crimson light as the power of the ritual was unleashed. Bane was aware of his flesh being utterly consumed by the unimaginable heat, reduced to ashes in a thousandth of a second. But he was no longer a part of his own body. His spirit had discarded it like an old shell in favor of a new one. Bane was suddenly fully aware of his physical surroundings. He could see with Xana's eyes. He could hear with her ears. He could feel the intense heat of the ritual's crimson glow through her skin. But Xana was still there too. She sensed his assault. He could feel her terror and confusion as if they were his own. And when she screamed in horror, he screamed with her. The black tendrils vanished as her concentration was shattered, disappearing like smoke on the wind. Instinctively, she fought to repel the invader. Bane could feel her pushing him away, rejecting him, trying to drive him out, even as he relentlessly tried to force his way in and snuff out her existence. It became a battle of wills, their two identities locked together inside Xana's mind, grappling for possession of her body. They teetered on the precipice of the void, Bane seeking to obliterate all trace of her identity, while she sought to cast him down into the blackness. For a moment they seemed to be evenly matched, neither gaining nor giving ground. And then suddenly, it was over. Chapter 27 From a safe distance, the Iktachi had watched the two figures from her dreams wage battle. She was an impartial observer, having no preference as to which one would emerge victorious. She only wanted to serve whoever proved the stronger. The conflict had been brief but intense. She had marveled at the speed of their blades, their movement so fast she could barely follow the action. She had felt the awesome power of the Force unleashed through bursts of lightning and the sinister tendrils that crawled up from the ground. She shivered in anticipation with the knowledge that she too could one day learn to wield such power. She had seen Bane knock the woman to the ground and slap her weapon away, only to have his arm hewn off by the touch of one of the black tentacles. And then, there had been a flash so bright, she had been forced to close her eyes and look away. When she looked back, Bane was gone, his body reduced to a pile of ash. The blonde woman still lay on the ground, dazed but alive. The deadly tendrils were nowhere to be seen. Cautiously, she approached the scene. Bane's severed arm lay on the ground, but the rest of his body had been consumed by the crimson flare. In the instant before she had looked away, however, she had felt something. Even from a distance, she had sensed an incredible burst of power, the same power she had sensed in Bane himself. She didn't know how it was possible, but it almost seemed as if the Dark Lord's life energy had burst free of his physical form in one glorious instant releasing itself upon the material world. Then, as suddenly as she had sensed the presence, it was gone, vanishing 
like an animal gone to ground. Crazy as it might seem, there was only one place she could imagine it could have gone. The woman on the ground shifted, her eyes fluttering open as she rose slowly to her feet. She moved awkwardly and couldn't seem to stand up straight as if she was unfamiliar with how her own limbs and muscles worked, though this could simply have been the result of exhaustion from the battle. She shook her blonde head from side to side and the motion seemed to restore some sense of her equilibrium. Standing straight and tall, she turned and fixed the Itochi with a cold stare. Knowing how insane her words would sound, Cognus hesitated before asking, Lord Bane? Bane is gone, the woman replied, her voice confident and strong. I am Darth Zana, Dark Lord of the Sith, and your new master. The Iktochi dropped to one knee, folding her hands in supplication and bowing her head. Forgive me, master. What is your name? Zana demanded. I am Darth Cognus. She had almost answered the Huntress, but she managed to catch her mistake just in time. Bane had me take the name to symbolize my new life as a Sith apprentice. Then your training has already begun, Zan replied. Did he explain the rule of two that guides our order? He started to, but there was no time for any real lessons before you arrived, she admitted. I will teach you the rule of two and the ways of the Sith. Zana promised. In time, I will teach you everything. Rise, Cognus, she added. And the Iktochi did as she was instructed. Zana turned away from her and walked over to pick up her lightsaber from where it had fallen to the ground. Eventually, you will construct your own lightsaber, Zana said, speaking but not turning to look back at her. For now, take Darth Bane's. Cognus scooped the curved hilt of Bane's lightsaber up from the ground, unfazed by the gruesome severed limb resting only a few centimeters away. Bane reinvented the Sith, Zana explained, standing with her back to her new apprentice as she stared out across the vast empty expanse of the Ambrian Desert. We are his legacy, and though he is gone, his legacy will endure. Now I am the master and you are my chosen successor. One day you will face me, just as I faced Bane, and only one of us will survive. This is the way of our order. An individual may die, but the Sith are eternal. Yes, Master, Cognus answered. She couldn't help but notice that, as she was speaking, Xana was continually clenching and unclenching the fingers of her left hand. Epilogue Said Hearth was too smart to go back to his estate on Nelhada. If Xana had survived the destruction of the stone prison, it was only a matter of time until she went there to look for him, and he had no desire to ever run into her again. Luckily, Set had built his life on the underlying principle that he might have to go on the run at any time. He had other mansions on other worlds, from Nar Shadda all the way to Coruscant itself, and at least a dozen false identities he could assume if he didn't want to be found. He wasn't worried about Xana. 
not when he had something far more interesting right in front of him. He was sitting cross-legged on the floor of the shuttle he had stolen from the stone prison, Andedu's holocron resting on a small table a few meters away. All his attention was focused on the small holographic figure being projected from the Black Pyramid's top. It will take years for you to learn the lessons I must teach you. The gatekeeper warned him, its skeletal features serious and grim. You must prove yourself worthy before I reveal the ritual of essence transfer to you. Of course, Master, he said, nodding eagerly. I understand. He had chafed under the tutelage of Master Oba and the Jedi. He had felt serious reservations about serving as an apprentice under Xana. But Set was more than willing to do whatever the gatekeeper required of him. For one thing, he knew he only had to answer to the gatekeeper when the holocron was active. Unlike a living master, Set was the one who would decide where and when he would begin each lesson. More important, however, the holocron was offering him something he actually wanted. Xana had tried to tempt him with promises of power and the chance to destroy the Jedi and rule the galaxy. But Set already had more than enough power to get what he needed from life. Plus, you're charming, smart, and handsome. What more could anyone ask for? The last thing he wanted was to rule the galaxy. Let the Jedi and Sith wage their endless war. The outcome made no difference to him. He was a survivor. All he wanted was to live a long and prosperous life. And if he learned the secrets of essence transfer, his life would be very long indeed. He would have to be careful, of course. Never draw too much attention to himself. Try not to cross paths with the Jedi or powerful people like Xana. No problem. Basically, just do what you're already doing. That, and guard the holocron as if his life, his long, long life, depended on it. Are you ready to begin your first lesson? You have no idea, Master. Set replied with a wry grin. You have absolutely no idea. This is Jonathan Davis. We hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of Star Wars, Darth Bane, Dynasty of Evil, a novel of the Old Republic by Drew Karpishin. This program was directed by Kevin Thompson. Executive producer Aaron Blank. Star Wars Darth Bane Dynasty of Evil is a production of Lucasfilm Limited, copyright 2009. All rights reserved. Used under authorization. Music composed by John Williams. Music publishing by Warner Tamerlane Publishing Corporation and Bantha Music. Music Master Production, copyright 2007, Lucasfilm Limited. This has been a Random House Audio presentation. All rights reserved. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.